Hello there, this is Benny. And this is Kyle. And you're listening to The Doctor's Watcher. The Doctor Who podcast where maybe the Doctor's dead now, I guess? Well, uh, the Abbot of Amboise <laughs> podcast <laughs> where we watch a show called something and we tell you all about it. Indeed. Well, Kyle watches it and he tells me and uh, we, uh, <laughs> yep. Yeah, I wonder if they're going to change the name of the show now that the Doctor's dead. On the other hand, it's never quite been clear if his name is the Doctor or Doctor Who anyway, so maybe they can get away with it. Yeah, at this point, um, doesn't have to make sense. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, uh, this is one of those uh, episodes that we record right after the previous one, so I don't have a whole lot to catch y'all up on in terms of what's been going on in my life. I still think Star Wars Ahsoka is pretty good. Uh, I guess that's it. How about you, Kyle? <laughs> uh, I still need to, to actually watch that, but... but I, as, I just meant, like, how, how about you in terms <laughs> uh-huh. of, like, uh, any, anything else you wanted to talk to our listeners about? And, and me, me too. So I went, along with my partner and a friend of ours to the Ren Fair last weekend. You did. I the, saw the pictures. The Northern California Renaissance Fair, to be specific and particular. And it was a lot of fun. We tried to get there early, which kind of worked, but it's a long drive, so we didn't get there like super early. But yeah. the reason we wanted to do that was because the first thing we did when we got there was go to the tent where they do fancy hair braiding. Yep. And we all got fancy hair braids installed. Yes. You, you looked very, very nice, Kyle. Why? Thank you. I was pretty happy. Pretty braids. Yes. All three of you, uh, they did a good job. Yeah, I think it was, I think they did. Uh, we were all pretty pleased with what we got. Um, our friend who has very long hair was in the chair for quite a long time. But <laughs> yeah, do they, do they just charge, I've been wondering this, do they charge like the same price regardless of how long your hair is? Because our friend has very long hair. Um, so when you first sit down, they basically like ask you how much you want to pay. Like it. I think it starts at like 30 or 31 or something and goes up from there. And you just like tell them the amount that you want to pay. And then I think that kind of determines the complexity of what they do. Oh, yeah. So you're like, I'm going to pay 50 bucks. And then like, all right, you're getting 50 bucks worth of hair braiding. Uh And then we're stopping and walking away. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I don't think that it varies depending on like your amount of hair. So... As far as I know, she didn't have to pay like a an extra hair surcharge or anything. <laughs> <laughs> Did they do beard braiding? Because I feel like you you've got plenty of beard. You could have gotten that braided as well. That would be fun. Yeah, I did see as I was getting my hair braided. I did see somebody having his beard braided and like having some beads put into it and stuff. But I'm actually oh, cool. not sure if it was being done like professionally by the braid tent people or just like by his partner that he was with. 
Was it like at the braid tent? It was, I think it was in the braid tent, like waiting chairs, but maybe his partner was the person waiting. I'm not sure. That's a mystery. Mm-hmm. And speaking of mysteries, we've got one for you today, listeners, on The Doctor's Watcher. Indeed. episode of the serial The Massacre, or The Massacre of St. Bartholomew's Eve. Yes. I keep wanting to call it the St. Bartholomew's Eve Massacre. I guess that's one of the names this uh, serial does not go by, though. (laughs) And, of course, it's the 25th episode of the season, Bell of Doom. Bell of Doom. Yes, yes. Good, good. We'll see if I decide to find some cool bell sound to drop in there when I edit this episode. <laughs> Excellent. One sec, Matilda's outside, I think. Yes, I, I heard our co-host. <laughs> Hi, Kitty. Meow. 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 Don't scratch the carpet. Well, any Skaven who are listening to this episode because they saw Bell of Doom and better be on their best behavior because we, we got Matilda here now. <laughs> Skaven are rat people in uh, the Warhammer Fantasy universe who are obsessed with bells. They love bells. The bigger, the better. Um, so, yeah, uh, screaming bells, which do indeed spell doom for their enemies. Nice. <laughs> anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, so, Kyle, how'd you watch it? Yeah, it's a reconstruction. We know this whole, yeah. this whole serial is missing. <laughs> so... Oh, you got your door swinging open back there, Kyle. <laughs> did Matilda Is it leave? Matilda leaving? <laughs> okay, bye, Matilda. Do you recall our cliff dangler? The c- cliff dangler is that the abbot of Amboise, we assume, is dead... Um, although it could be the doctor because they look identical. And poor Stephen was convinced uh, for a while, at least, that the abbot was the doctor in disguise. And now we're hoping that was not the case because the abbot is deceased. And the the crowd has been uh, stirred up against Stephen. And Stephen has had the murder pinned on him. And he's <laughs> running for his life. Indeed, he runs, and the episode ends. Matilda. (laughs) And this episode picks up the next day, basically, with Anne Chaplet, who is alone in Presland's shop, like the day after the Cliff Dangler. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We'll just assume Stephen made it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. She's hiding, she's scared, and there's a knock on the door. And, you know, she hides, but then she hears Stephen shouting, it's him. And so she lets, she opens the door and lets him in. Yeah, we were worried too. (laughs) 
he explains to her that they almost did catch him. That's basically why it took him so long to get back. And he also explains to her that his friend, the doctor, is dead. I saw his body lying in the street by the abbot's house. Before I could do anything, Roger Colbert saw me and sent the guards after me again. Heaven knows what I do now. Yeah. Yeah, like, we, we talked about this a little bit in the previous episode, too, but I feel really bad for him. Like, he genuinely thinks the doctor is dead. Yeah. So he basically figures that his only hope is to find the TARDIS key. Uh-huh. Which, hopefully... The doctor left in his normal clothes when he changed into his Abbot of Amboise cosplay. And also, hopefully, they can find his normal clothes. And also, hopefully, the controls on the TARDIS are clearly labeled, or he can find <laughs> an instruction manual somewhere. Uh-huh. He thinks that the only place that the doctor visited where he could have changed his clothes was... Preslan's shop, which Stephen and Anne are currently in, so Convenient. they start searching. Yes, very, very carefully constructed uh, module here. <laughs> uh huh. We cut over to Marshall Tavan and Simon Duval, who are discussing things. Marshall Tavan, of course, has been put in charge of protecting Admiral de Toligny's life by King Charles after the attempted assassination on the Admiral, even though King Charles knows that Marshal Tavon and the Queen Mother are behind the assassination. Yeah, we got, we got plots within plots here, folks. So Marshal Tavon and Simon Duval are having this discussion, the basic gist of which is that they are continuing to blame the abbot of Amboise's death on the Huguenots in the hopes of covering their own tracks in the attempted assassination of Admiral de Coligny. But Devious. they need to find and kill the Englishman, by which they mean Stephen, like tonight, because tomorrow is St. Bartholomew's Day and oh, shit. in all the like revelry and celebration of St. Bartholomew's Day, he'd be able to get away from them pretty easily. Oh, no, that seems like a time when people might be doing a massacre. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure if the if the GM has told the players the name of the module or not. <laughs> uh yeah, they, they they keep covering the box every time they uh, set up in the in the beginning. Uh huh. So this evening, the eve of Saint Bartholomew's Day, Stephen and Anne are still searching Preslan's shop. They've been searching all day, apparently. And I, I guess I'll do another investigation check. <laughs> <laughs> The GM's like, you sure there's nothing else you want to do? No, we've got to find the doctor's clothes. <laughs> well, uh, it doesn't actually matter how high you roll if they're not in the place. <laughs> <laughs> they still have not found the doctor's clothes. Apparently, Anne does find the doctor's stick, like his walking stick. And Stephen doesn't really understand why... 
the stick would be there without the clothes or like where else the doctor might have changed into his Abbot of Amboise cosplay Uh and speculates that maybe he went with Preslan somewhere, but Stephen says he couldn't have done that because Preslan is either dead or in prison, which is, you know, what he and Nicholas heard on the street earlier. Yeah, but we know it's not actually true. Right. And then the doctor says... He is not. Ah, the doctor. (laughs) We, of course, immediately cut away. You know, Doctor Who, the show loves to do a reveal and then immediately cut away. Yeah, yeah. But 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 did this voice say something like, he is not my son, I mean my dear boy. <laughs> <laughs> so over at Admiral de Toligny's house, Nicholas and his buddy Gaston are arguing about what they should do. Gaston wants to, you know, kill the beast, but right. uh, there's like, well, why do you keep calling Stephen the beast? I don't know. It just feels right. <laughs> don't you think he's like, kind of beastly? He's, he's, kind of, he's kind of a beast. He's kind of buff. He's a, you know, he's a beast. <laughs> Nicholas is like, you know, I, I really wanted some eggs this morning for breakfast, but they said you ate them all. <laughs> yeah. So Gaston is worried that Admiral de Coligny's life is still in danger because yeah. the house Valid. and the admiral <laughs> are being guarded by a bunch of Catholics. Mm-hmm. Nicholas thinks it's fine because they're under the king's orders. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hmm. uh-huh. Good luck with that, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Also, apparently the surgeon has said that de Coligny shouldn't be moved, but... Yeah, I don't know. Oh, uh, yeah, uh, it, it's one of these things where the players were probably like, "Yeah, but you'd want to like move him to it." No, no, no that he's, <laughs> he's the exact right amount of wounded. Where he, he uh, if you leave him in place, he'll be okay. But if you move him, uh-huh. not a chance. <laughs> <laughs> Back in Preslan's shop, the doctor first like chides Stephen for not waiting at the tavern. Mm-hmm. Which, of course, Stephen did, <laughs> and the doctor never showed up. Yeah, plus, uh, yeah, I feel, I, I feel like the um, the timing on that is a little expired, doctor, but okay. Yeah. He uh, also... Now, now I am fa- a little bit more convinced that this actually is the doctor, though. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like the kind of thing he would do. Uh-huh. He also chides Stephen for basically, like, getting involved in things in general. which is certainly not something the doctor ever does Uh uh-huh and you know totally reasonable for steven to just like sit in a tavern for several days and not speak to anyone or get involved in anything yeah (laughs) that's the 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 doctor's directive um you know not not really the prime directive because it doesn't actually apply to the doctor but (laughs) Uh (laughs) it applies to everyone else But when Stephen actually starts talking about, like, what he's been involved in and the doctor starts hearing about the sea beggar and the doctor learns that tomorrow is St. Bartholomew's Day, he starts getting very concerned. He He has his history uh better than I did, to be honest. 
Now we he, started this year. <laughs> yeah, same. He asks Anne what year it is. And, you know, she's, of course, kind of surprised at the question, but she tells him it's 1572. Monsieur, don't you know what year it is? <laughs> I love that moment in time travel. Yeah. He basically, as soon as he learns the year, he immediately starts telling Anne to GTFO. Mm-hmm. She's not sure where to go. They'll kill her if she goes back to the abbot's house. If only there were a, a some 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 place I could go that would be safe <laughs> and could take me away from this place. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Something blue, perhaps, and rectangular. But I don't think I've seen anything like that around. <laughs> I don't, I don't know why I was so specific there. It just, <laughs> just felt right. She apparently does have an aunt who lives in Paris. Oh, okay. <laughs> She's worried about if she goes to her aunt's house that the guards would, like, find her and catch her there. Yeah, if your aunt's a Huguenot, uh, she may want a GTFO too, actually. Uh-huh. Also, it's apparently after curfew at this point anyway. It's... You know, getting late in the evening. Mm, okay. But the doctor just continues insisting that she'll be fine, but she needs to leave immediately, get to her aunt's house ASAP, and then just, like, maybe stay inside all day tomorrow. Hmm. Yeah. Stephen protests. He's worried about the Catholic guards capturing her, but... The doctor just, like, rushes her out of Preslan's shop and, like, sends her on her way. And <laughs> okay. he tells Stephen that the Catholics are going to have other things on their minds tonight. Oh, boy. He pulls the whole no time to explain line out on Stephen. Nice. I mean, and <laughs> it's not that long an explanation to give the short version. There's going to be a massacre. Yeah, that's it. You're, yeah. you're done. <laughs> But he says that, like, the two of them also need to GTFO from Paris ASAP. Mm -hmm. And so he rushes Stephen out of Preslan's shop. Marshal Tavon is in his study waiting for Simon Duval to return. But the Queen Mother, Catherine de' Medici, arrives. She has a signed order for him so their plans can go ahead. Nice. He basically hands her a list of, like, all of the top Huguenots that should be killed. Oh, man. Uh, I, don't, I don't like these guys' vibe, Kyle. Mm -hmm. I mean, even if you're going to do a massacre, uh, which you shouldn't, we are <laughs> anti-massacre. <laughs> um, nevertheless, uh, yeah, having the list of people that you want killed, ugh. Yeah. Ugh. These well, vibes are rancid. She she doesn't accept the list. We have no need of lists, Marshal. The good people of Paris know their enemies. They will take care of them. Oh, shit. I don't like that either. So, yeah, we don't need a list. Just mob justice will handle it. <laughs> just yeah, We're, uh, we're going to kill them all. <laughs> Tavon's not sure about that. He thinks that innocent people will get killed by the mob along with guilty people. But, I mean, a guilty of being Huguenots, like, uh, uh -huh. I think, I, th I mean, I prefer not killing innocent people at all. Uh, hmm. 
Yeah, this is not really a concern for the Queen Mother. Innocent? Here is they can have no innocence. France could breathe the pure air after tomorrow. Uh, I wonder how much of this is historical and how much of it is that women do tend to be kind of demonized in these things. Yeah, it's a good question. I have not actually done enough research to know the answer. And I know that the Medicis in general um, tended to be seen as kind of ruthless. Yeah. So. Mm. Yeah, manipulative mm. and controlling and whatnot. Yeah. Tavon asks her what they should do about her new son-in-law, Henry of Navarre, and she wants him just killed along with the rest of the Huguenots, but Tavon is able to, like, talk her down into letting him be exiled instead, basically. Huh. Okay. Catherine leaves, and then Simon Duval shows up, and he is pretty excited to hear the news that there is no list. We are to unleash the wolves of Paris. None of his birds. Even better, my lord. Oh, boy. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. He does, however, get pretty annoyed when Tavon assigns him to the Henry of Navarre escort quest. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, no one likes escort quests. Simon Duval doesn't get to actually participate in the massacre because he's got to escort Navarre out of Paris instead. Well, maybe I'll bump into some Huguenots on my way out. <laughs> I, I, I won't get to, like, really enjoy it, but maybe I'll do some quick massacring. <laughs> how, f how far out of Paris does he need to get? Maybe I can hurry back while there's still massacring happening. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, if, I, if I get the escort quest done quickly, maybe I can come back while the event is still taking place. Speed run the escort quest. Yes, yes. Escort quests are hard to speed run, though, because usually like the character that you're escorting moves at a certain speed. Yeah, and then they'll like wander off or get stuck on something, and uh -huh. yeah, that's that's. You have always... to like go clear the path ahead of them, and <laughs> yeah. Hey, folks! Isn't this a good podcast? If you like what you hear, let us know. You can do that on social media or by email, or by leaving a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Another thing you can do if you like this show is let your friends know. Word of mouth is the best way for us to get new listeners. And now, back to the show. We cut to early in the morning. Stephen and the doctor are hiding in the streets near the TARDIS, which, if you remember from three or four episodes ago, is like behind a gate or something we never actually oh, yeah. <laughs> saw it ourselves i do remember yeah that was very clever so they're near that location and they're hiding this location is near admiral de colony's house but they're not able to quite close the final distance to the tardis because of all of the guards outside the admiral's house dang yeah yeah, it's going to be trouble. Mm-hmm. 
So they're just kind of in hiding and watching for now. And they watch as some officers approach to relieve the guards of duty. Good day, sir. Stopped you for an hour or more. Don't guard you. Come quickly. Ruh-roh. So the guards leave. A few moments later, the bell that signifies the end of the nightly curfew rings. Would you uh, uh, characterize that as a bell of everything is okay? <laughs> well, a bell sounds... of tranquility, perhaps? A bell of life, even. <laughs> it sounds kind of like doom, doom, doom. <laughs> I'll take that as a no. <laughs> a no to all my questions. <laughs> so the bell rings. The you know on their little HUDs, the curfew warning disappears, and as soon as the curfew warning disappears, they rush over to the TARDIS, and the TARDIS, like we hear the TARDIS dematerialize. As oh okay bye uh huh. <laughs> As these officers start knocking on Admiral de Toligny's door, demanding that he open in the name of the king. And the words on the screen say? Uh, actually, at this point in the episode, if you're watching along, you might notice that there's like 10 or 15 minutes of runtime left, <laughs> and you might say to yourself, what the hell's going to happen now? Yeah, there's a... I was thinking, like, oh, okay, uh, they left. I guess that's one way of not having to depict a massacre on your children's show. <laughs> <laughs> so, speaking of depicting massacres on your children's show... Oh, boy. Yes, please. Uh, go, go on, Kyle. <laughs> if you Google the phrase, Massacre of St. Bartholomew, you are likely to see a painting by Francois Dubois, yes. who was a Huguenot painter who fled France. I have seen it, yes. Uh, you know, uh, over the course of recording this serial, uh, uh-huh. during last time's recording session, I, I did, in fact, look up the Huguenots, and uh, it's on the Wikipedia article, too, either about the Huguenots in general, or it might just be on the one specifically about the, the massacre. But yeah, so, it's not a good time. So for more than a full minute, I think about 70 seconds or so of runtime, we just hear like a heavy drum soundtrack and crowd noises and people shouting and screaming while the loose cannon reconstructionists just show us like various close-ups from Dubois's painting. Yeah, uh, <laughs> hmm. uh, m- memo, uh, lost memo, etc., etc., <laughs> And yeah, so again, after more than a minute of this, we eventually cut to the TARDIS control room. And aboard the TARDIS, the doctor is explaining to Stephen that there's nothing they could have done. In any case, I cannot change the course of history. You know that. The massacre continued for several days in Paris. And Pain spread itself to other parts of France. Oh, the What a terrible pain to the past. Ah, dang. Dang. Yeah. That's heavy. That's a downer. Uh, the, 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 these kids are going to need extra ice cream tonight <laughs> with their dinner. <laughs> uh-huh. 
Steven's pissed, though, mostly because the doctor left Anne there to die. And uh, the doctor's like, about that? <laughs> and we turn, and <laughs> there's Anne. Hey, she's a companion now. Well, Maybe. Uh, nope, that's not what happens, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> the doctor insists that he's not responsible for Anne's death. Although, like, the best defense that he can offer is maybe she didn't die, even though, like, 10,000 Huguenots were killed in Paris alone. Maybe she wasn't one of them. Oh, boy. Yeah. Stephen doesn't want to hear it. He's done. I tell you this much, Doctor. Wherever this machine of yours lands next, I'm getting off. If you're researchers have so little regard for human life and I want no part dang also yeah if we if we're not adding Anne as a uh, as a companion and Stephen is now threatening to leave <laughs> we are <laughs> running out of companions uh huh the TARDIS lands a few moments later and the doctor gets the final word as Stephen walks out my dear Stephen, history sometimes gives us a terrible trouble. And that is because we don't quite fully understand. Why should we? After all, we're all too small to realize its final pattern. Therefore, I don't try and judge it from where you stand. I was right to do as I did. Yes, that I've come to believe. Huh. And Stephen just silently leaves. So it's one of those, like, everything happens for a reason. Kind of, yeah. Uh, I know. I was never really a fan of that argument. I know. Uh, yeah. Um, you, you and I both spend a lot of time in, in certain groups or around certain groups who make that argument frequently, but never sat well with me either, Stephen. Yeah, me neither. I don't blame Stephen at all for walking out in this moment. Yeah, and I, uh, I'm, I'm sincerely hoping that the planet that they're on has, like, you know, a- edible something, <laughs> uh-huh. uh, breathable air. <laughs> well, the doctor Nor- actually gravity. The doctor actually does mention that, like, at least Stephen like checked the readings before he left. Yeah, good call. So. Good call. You're gonna want to do that. Uh, Even if you're mad at the doctor, like, Uh there's no reason to go walk out into a giant field of poison gas or something. (laughs) The doctor seems pretty sad to be alone in the TARDIS control room. And he monologues for a little bit about his previous companions. No. They're all gone. All gone. None of them could understand. Not even my little Susan or Vicky. Of course, I don't need to remind you that he kicked Susan out. Yeah. But as for Barbara and Chatterton, Chesterton, <laughs> they were all too impatient to get back to their own time. And now, Steve. Dang. Yeah. Yeah, we're feeling it. Uh-huh. Yeah, the doctor actually thinks about 
returning to his own home planet, but he his monologue ends basically by him telling himself that he can't. His own home planet? Where's that, Doctor? <laughs> his, his monologue ends, and then a moment later his reverie is broken by a teenage girl rushing into the TARDIS looking for the telephone. Huh. Apparently, a little boy has been hurt, so she wants to call for help. This is this is a, ch- a very quick change in tone here. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> the doctor explains to her that she's made a mistake. This is not a police box. She'll have to look for another police box if she wants help. And it takes her a moment, but she does start to realize that something odd is happening here. Wait a minute. A police box? Where is it? And who are you? Well, my dear, I'm a doctor of science, and this machine is for traveling through time and relative dimensions in space. Now, you. Uh, is this going to be our new companion? Well, maybe, maybe, maybe let's fix up the this kid first. <laughs> the doctor keeps trying to convince her to leave and go look for help somewhere else, to no avail. When Stephen rushes into the TARDIS. Oh, okay. Yay, he's back. <laughs> uh-huh. I, was, I was feeling pretty bummed when he left. Uh, maybe it wasn't for good? Question mark? Well, we'll see. The doctor starts giving him shit about coming back. <laughs> I mean, okay, yeah, okay. <laughs> Stephen. He's the doctor. He's the doctor. Yeah. Stephen basically tells the doctor to STFU and dematerialize because there are some cops coming toward the TARDIS. Huh. What about this kid? He's hurt. Uh, yeah, Stephen hasn't noticed the girl yet, and no one seems to care about the little kid that she was concerned about. Hmm. Okay. The doctor basically <laughs> agrees with Stephen that all cops are bastards and that cops shouldn't be allowed on the TARDIS. So <laughs> No cops at TARDIS. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> He closes the door and dematerializes, and <laughs> then Stephen. Really this, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> this is when Stephen like notices the teen girl. How did you get in here? Oh, me feet, same as you did. <laughs> oh yeah, she's she's spunky, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen is very rightly concerned about the fact that the doctor has just kidnapped a teenage girl who might never get home again because of how the TARDIS functions and operates. Not for the first time. Uh Uh-huh. The girl doesn't really give a shit, though. She says that she doesn't have any parents. She lives with her great-aunt, and her great-aunt won't care if she never sees her again. Why, I could be on as many episodes of your <laughs> show as you like. <laughs> uh-huh. The doctor's basically just like, see, Stephen, it's totally fine. And she looks kind of like my granddaughter, Susan. <laughs> uh, her her uh, stats are very similar. <laughs> uh-huh. The doctor asks her for her name. And first she says Dodo. Then she clarifies that it's actually Dorothea Chaplet, which kind of pings in Stephen's brain. You know, he takes a glance at her character sheet, sees how Chaplet is spelled, and asks her if she's French. 
And she's like, fuck no, but my grandfather was. Huh. So Stephen. Oh, oh, duh. Yeah, that's, that's Anne's last name, right? <laughs> uh-huh. Stephen basically. Oh, so maybe Anne lived. Ah, uh, yay. Yeah, he wonders. Because <laughs> like, they don't have anyone else with that last name in all of France. <laughs> right. And, you know, that's, you know, no other possible explanation for for this last name. Yeah. And, you know, also apparently if she's descended from Anne, like Anne kept her own maiden name and passed that on down to her children instead of like the <laughs> paternal name. Uh, well, does she look exactly like her ancestor? Her uh, she ancestor? does not actually. She looks different. Oh. Yeah, it's oh, a different okay. actress. Okay, <laughs> sure, why not, I guess. But yeah, Stephen wonders like if it might be possibly the case that she's maybe descended from Anne. And the doctor says that it's very possible. Uh, except as Kyle did point out, it seems a little, <laughs> little improbable. He welcomes her aboard the TARDIS, calling her Dorothea, which she corrects him to call her Dodo. And as she issues this correction, the words, next episode, the steel sky appear on screen. Nice. Didn't we already have an episode with a title kind of similar to that? I feel like I remember talking about it. Um, we have mentioned the Steel Sky before because of how Britbox has misnumbered the episodes oh, in this season. Oh, that was it. Okay, yeah. okay. So we're we talking about yeah. this old point-and-click adventure game with a similar title, <laughs> the Steel Sky. Yeah, we're oh, actually okay. getting to it now. Cool. That's a good name. It is. I was and I was happy with it. And now we have our, our new uh, plucky, spunky teen girl character, Dodo. Uh-huh. Who All right. looks similar to Susan. A little bit weird and creepy of the doctor to, like, specifically be excited about that, but okay. I wasn't sure if you were joking about that. He actually says that? Yeah, like, I didn't quote him, but he does actually say that. <laughs> oh geez, that's yeah, that um, <laughs> I was gonna miss that was a bit actually. <laughs> uh, okay, well I assume that now that uh, the, the the massacre seems to have happened, <laughs> the serial is over. Uh huh. So Kyle, uh, uh, maybe given that the serial is completely missing, not a not a single frame remains, uh, <laughs> would you nevertheless? <laughs> recommend that our listeners go out and try to watch it so we're back to the genre of historicals where they go to a history time and mostly just kind of like have a romp through it without actually like doing much or without a whole lot happening plot wise yeah we yeah like there was no sci-fi element yeah um to this one we did have like the fun little plot of mistaken identity with the abbot of Amboise and the doctor that uh-huh. Stephen had to deal with. I enjoyed that. I think that might have been more interesting to us viewers if it was more ambiguous. 
I feel like they kind of tried to make it clear that it was not actually the doctor while Steven thought it was. Huh. And, and I feel like this plot was already hard enough to follow, especially for the, for a little kids. So, yeah, that's fair. Uh, <laughs> maybe it's for the best. <laughs> yeah. I basically didn't know like anything about the French religious wars before this serial. It did inspire me to like look at a Wikipedia page or two. So yeah. I guess it, it got, you know, a, a check in the educational column. Yeah, I knew that French royalty tended to be Catholic, and I knew that uh, in this time period and much of European history, the Catholics and the Protestants were uh, at odds. So mm-hmm. that, and that's all I knew. I, I, I didn't realize the whole deal with the Huguenots or Huguenots or Huguenots or whatever you, how you <laughs> say it. Um, and I'm not making fun of the French language here, folks. I'm making fun of my own inability to speak it. Um but, uh, yeah, I learned something. I actually <laughs> legitimately learned something. <laughs> uh-huh. Thanks, Doctor Who. Uh, it's an it's a, um, educational program. I was really interested in the scene where Stephen leaves towards the end. I thought it was really cool to see someone yeah. like push back against the Doctor. Yeah, yeah, that whole bit, I mm-hmm. think, was really interesting, like philosophically and from a sci-fi perspective given that we've seen similar things in other um time travel type shows you know i mean we keep referring to the temporal time directive that's from star trek but uh interesting um because in the doctor's case he seems to be saying if i understood correctly and you can tell me like if this was your interpretation as well but he seems to be saying that he cannot change history not just that he shouldn't but like that that was my yeah that was my interpretation as well and that's really interesting to think about. Like, if that mm-hmm. were the case, this whole thing of, like, no matter how hard you try, no matter how, how hard you push, like, because if, if that's actually what he's saying, then maybe what he's doing is, like, saving Stephen from the heartbreak of trying and trying and trying to right. prevent this massacre while all the time the doctor knows that it has to happen. Right. Like, and, like, that's, you can, that's what he's telling Barbara in the Aztecs, too, like they're gonna keep doing human sacrifice you can't stop that from happening like that's yeah that's history yeah but then on the other hand like it it kind of implied that he inspired emperor nero to burn rome but 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 history did say that rome burned true so he didn't change history yeah i guess causing history is not the same as changing history yeah because yeah this is i mean how much are we actually gonna get into this how much are they even gonna stick to it in (laughs) terms of the the canon or or Uh how it all works i don't know but it's actually really fascinating to think about i really dig it yeah really do um but kyle you still haven't answered my question (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think you know this serial gives us some interesting things to talk about I will commend Loose Cannon for doing a good job with what they had, which was literally nothing. <laughs> well, the audio, but yeah. yeah. Um, you know, it was still, you know, interesting enough to watch the Loose Cannon reconstruction and I was able to follow along and everything. So they did a good job. Yeah. On the whole, ultimately, though, I think this serial is kind of skippable. Yeah. Maybe I'd feel yeah. different if it wasn't entirely missing i don't know but as it is yeah yeah. 
Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I thought it was a really interesting, like it's a surprisingly mature and like, um, deeply crafted plots with like, you know, plots within plots The the plot contains a lot of plots, <laughs> but <laughs> Um, and, you know, dealing with some pretty heavy subject matter and uh, history that people, especially here in the States, I think, could really stand to learn about. Mm-hmm. All that being said, yeah, um, I, I suspect this isn't the most fun to, to watch. Um, I don't know how much more fun it would have been at the time. Um, but, yeah, as as the, the audience, um, I had a really hard time kind of keeping track of all the characters especially like there are all the yeah kind of for sure side characters like colbert and you know i i don't know i don't even know they're all their names but the, yeah following the, along with the transcript as i watched helped a lot with that i think i was <laughs> you know i tend to watch these all twice i do like a fun watch and then a notes watch and yeah. i only use the transcript for my notes watch and i was a lot less confused that time than i was during my fun watch i think <laughs> Yeah, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Oh, cool. Um, did you have anything else you wanted to talk about for this serial? Um, yeah, I did have a couple final notes to mention. One thing that I read was that they did actually, they, the producers and whatever, did actually consider yeah. making Anne a companion, but <laughs> they okay. apparently ended up... Uh, they rejected her for like basically the same reason as Katarina, which is that they yeah. felt that her origins as a historical character would basically make her too unrelatable for home viewers. Yeah, I was fully prepared to call them out on the hypocrisy there if they had gone <laughs> as a companion. I mean, I know that she's not as far back historically, um, but still. Yeah, that's still like, yeah, what is it? 1572, I think is what <laughs> year she said. So, so weird to have four episodes with a character and then decide not to, you know, stick with her as a companion, <laughs> introduce someone in like the last five minutes of an episode and be like, here's our new companion. Uh-huh. <laughs> Off we go. <laughs> and then the final note that I had about this was that I read on the TARDIS Data Core website that apparently they had a scene planned where... Ian and Barbara would watch the TARDIS dematerialize after Dodo boards it, but I guess for whatever reason that never ended up getting filmed. Huh. Just to sort of underscore that we're back in the present day. Yeah, I guess it would have just been like a fun little (laughs) Easter egg and whatnot. Yeah, they'll be like, well, uh, time to write a letter to her great aunt. (laughs) (laughs) Also, maybe maybe we should help this uh, little boy who uh, is presumably injured and waiting for help. Yeah, like I, I he, suspect he's not like you know dying. Maybe he just like has a cut hopefully. or something. But uh, still, yeah, Dodo never did actually get help for him. Or she was just making it up, and she just wanted an excuse to make a prank call. <laughs> she was I guess there, the cops. There were the cops that Stephen was concerned about, so maybe somebody else got those cops. Who knows? Well, a mercifully short serial, only four episodes, and we're on to the next one. Um, Curious to see where we go next. So we'd like to thank Circuit23 for the awesome theme song that he made for us. You can find his album on Bandcamp and his music on 
um, SoundCloud. I almost said Spotify. I guess it's on Spotify too, actually, technically.、Uh, <laughs> anyway, yeah, find his music. Google it. Google Circuits23, or you can always email him at circuits.23 at gmail.com. I think I've forgotten to say that.、Um, thank you, Kyle, for watching Dr. Who and telling me all about it. And thank you, Benny, for listening to me talk all about Dr. Who. And thank you, listeners, for listening to me listen to Kyle talk about Dr. Who.、Um, email us at thedoctorswatcher at gmail.com.、Uh, leave us a five star review and tell your friends. Uh, see you in two weeks. <laughs> Come back for the steel sky. Hell yeah. Bye. Bye. I have it here the order signed by the king. Our plans for tomorrow can go ahead. Thank God. God had very little to do with it. What is this? Police, madame. When those Huguenots are killed, we need have no further fear of a Protestant France. We have no need of lists, Marshal. The good people of Paris know their enemies. They will take care of them. The good people? Madame, if you rouse the mob, the innocent will perish with the guilty. Innocent? Paris, they can have no innocents. France could breathe the purer air after tomorrow. And Navarre, madame, your son in law, is he to be slaughtered with the others? Tomorrow, Henry of Navarre will pay for his pretensions to the crown. <laughs>